0: Yep,
1: yep. What's going on, everybody? This is Chris Adams with Beyond the Blind podcast. You can find us under BTBN on iTunes, uh, Podbean app. Check it out on Facebook, uh, Instagram, all that fancy social media type stuff. Um, today, I've got Derek Jackson of DJ Illinois River Valley Calls up in uh, Peking, Illinois. Is that right, Derek?
0: Uh, it's Pekin. i um, I'm it's from Missouri. I don't know veil. all this
1: fancy Illinois stuff, being from Missouri. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I've got Derek on the line with us, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about call making. He's uh, His family's been involved with one of the most notorious, I don't know if notorious is the right, historical call companies Historic. around. Would you say that that's a, a better I mean, you're notorious, but historical, I think, I, is better.
0: I would say historical. You know, the old started up prior to 1904. So, you know, you got late, late, late 1800s all the way up until 2002. Don't quote me on it. 2002 when they closed. April 5th, 2002.
1: Dude, that's so crazy. So, you guys, have, like, your, your pops actually worked for old, for a long time, didn't he? Like 20-something years?
0: Uh, he worked for them for 30 years. Pretty much when he got out of high school, he went into working at Ults. He took a little break, went to Caterpillar to work, and it lasted about a week. He didn't like it, walked out, and then he turned around and went back to Ults, and he's been there ever since until, like I said, they closed on, uh, I think it was 2001. <laughs>
1: 2001. And since he had been doing it forever, might as well just keep at it. And That's did, right. So did he, like, uh, I don't know, how did he get it, like, Move from the transition to ult to his own shop. Did he just go out and start buying similar stuff like not buying similar much stuff but like equipment? He already knew the process.
0: No, so after old shut down, you know, as everything goes after you shut down, then you know, you got to auction, sell everything off for the whole money aspect to pay your bills or whatever. So he had caught a glimpse in an ad in the newspaper because they had a publicly. Announced, you know, that they were doing the auction on legality. So he went down there actually, and he bought everything from that auction that they had. So any kind of machinery, jigs, dyes, anything that they had, you know, that they didn't take after they closed because they did go in, take a few things, you know, some of the product and all the other stuff. So he bought everything else that they didn't take at an auction. And that's how he got everything that he did for the machine. Wise, that came from old but we did, when he started up, you know, we had to get the bandsaw, the lathes, drill presses, and all the other stuff, you know, that we had to get, and the laser. And so, you know, that's kind of how we caught up into a lot of the other machines that we don't have, because right now we run one, two, three, four. We, we got like seven lays in our garage. <laughs> Jeez, man. So bandsaw, laser, but, you know, that's how he got a lot of the stuff that he did was from the auction after they had closed down.
1: Nice. And I remember, it wasn't even when we were talking about this interview, but back in the day, I, I looked at your guys' website, I saw that you were kind of like the the innovator in bringing into the more modern acrylic J-frame. Was that kind of how that happened, or did I read that wrong? This is all you from know, memory.
0: It, it, it was me who got started on the acrylics. You know, Dad, he had his basic wood line, you know, the, like Oates did. They had the eight hundred, seventy 77, 66, DR. And I don't even know what kind of got me into wanting to do acrylics because I started here in 2003. We started February 14th, Valentine's Day on 2003. I was working here, and then, you know, it was kind of over the years. I would go find a little part-time job to kind of make up for, you know, some of the money when it was slow here. And honestly, I I, I, like I said, I couldn't tell you what made me get into acrylics. Just I, I wanted to do something different. You know, we took and channeled the company to keep up with the curve with acrylics because you know you kind of have to you can't just kind of stick with woods and you know it's done us really well so when we stopped we swapped into acrylics and then you know we got into what the uh, acrylic swan call which took off really well for us you know the k-11 went we went acrylic with that one because it's cheaper so i mean it was, it's been quite a few years i think it's only been like four or five years i would have been the acrylics and it's done very well for us so it was actually a really good thing to transition to to be able to keep up with everybody else well because you, know, you take T, if they wanted to swapped into acrylics and they just stuck wood you know where would they be at right or even if you take or even if you take bolts had they kept up with how everything was going in the hunting world you know they probably still would have been able to keep up and then open if they had just transitioned to acrylics They could have kept their wood line, the plastic line, but just, you know, upgrade into an acrylic. And then, you know, I think they would have been just fine.
1: Well, yeah, it's keeping with the times.
0: Oh, yeah, you have to.
1: And It's kind of a it's a tough thing because you guys are one of the one of the you know, you guys have that tie to the history of Ulta's been around so long. And you guys are connected to that hard rubber. You guys still do a keyhole, don't you?
0: Yes, we still have the old, original hard rubber keyhole, just like Olds did.
1: Okay, and cool. And actually,
0: the same company that molded theirs, we actually, they mold ours.
1: Okay, so, so there's there's a lot of, I am from Missouri, and I am probably the most ignorant to cutdowns. I do not blow a cut down. I've had one and did not like it because I suck at it. And uh, <laughs> I had and Seth he, Fields make fun of me do it for like, he was like... A,
0: there, there, There's a common mess up when you talk about the cut down world and I'm sure I might catch a little flack on this but you literally you don't blow a cut down as they always say like the guys down south outside, you either chop into it kind of or bark into it but you don't actually blow it because your air presentation doing the cut down compared to your J frame or any other call out there is completely different in the cut down world. But you also have a fifteen thousand read and a super high slope going on, unless, you know, you kind of file it down, and when people talk about the cutdowns, where they actually make it a little bit harder or easier to blow. But initially, you don't actually blow into a cutdown.
1: Okay. see, so, like I said, I'm so ignorant with cutdowns, I'll be the first person to admit it. Um,
0: you can always learn.
1: I've seen you talk about it a lot of different times with the, the old keyholes, the way it was manufactured. Everybody had all different ideas of, uh, how they put the keyhole, what are some of the, Uh I've seen you correct people doing it before and might as well just put it out there now since you have a voice rather than through type. What is that thing that people always say about it and what's the actual?
0: So the actual reason for the keyhole wasn't actually anything for making it louder. So when, when they first started, it was a hard rubber round hole. But, you know, actually when rubber is, before they fire it, you know how it's all flimsy and everything else. So when they'd actually pull it out of the mold, it'd pretty much well turn the tunnel inside out. So they introduced the core pin to be able to pull that out after the mold's done and release the pressure off of the tunnel so it could slide out easily without it getting turned inside out. And that's why you had your keyhole was for a core pin extraction.
1: Got you. So why... Is, is that why the keyhole is so, like, you know, if you see on the secondhand market, like I said, very uneducated in the thing, everybody wants an old keyhole. They're like, oh, and, well, is see, it a keyhole and, or not?
0: And I, I don't get that. I mean, don't get me wrong. You, you get your earlier 1939s, late 1939, because that's when they made the transition after the mold. And when they, re, when they redid the mold, then actually 1939, they had a keyhole. It was a patent applied for a keyhole. And then up until, man, you might take in your 50s. When you're still early keyholes, you have those nice, good grinds on them. Because when World War II got over with in 1945, the first year after that, they sold over 200,000 keyholes. And up until then, they ground every single one by hand and tuned it. And then they got the grinder, which we have and then they started putting a machine grind on it and it actually took more off with the grinder than they did by hand. And then when you started getting your really different tone difference was because of that machine. So if you can find an early keyhole, yes, they sound good, but I don't think as good as the round holes because the round holes have a super high lift on them that you can just do more with. And that's actually what we designed our 39 after was that call was the hard rubber round holes
1: and see that's why i wanted to talk to you because you know so much about like guys would really have to dig deep in to find research on this stuff and for the average joe like that
0: you that's the only reason i know my dad yeah exactly (laughs) and i spent a lot of time down at oldstow because we used to live there like they had their their acreage it's actually like 10 minutes maybe five minutes from where we're at now so we actually lived in the house in old. So every single time I would get off of school that I wasn't in trouble, I would go down there and help dad out in the shop just to kind of putz around and learn. So, you know, you there was a lot of time spent down in the old shop after school or whenever dad would just be working downstairs modifying flutes because he used to modify flutes for a lot of years.
1: That's freaking wild, man. Like, what was it like growing up in a shop like that? It was annoying.
0: Really? It's noisy? <laughs> it was noisy. Or even one like, Dad, well, you know, you're like fifth, sixth grade, and he's down there trying to make ends meet, raising three kids, working three jobs, and he's down there modifying 850s, and that's all you hear at like nine, ten o'clock is a goose flute going off. But it was really, it was really neat, though, you know, because there's a whole process to it, and it's a whole different process from where we are now. You know, you go out there and you can go to uh, was it webfoot or pintail, and you can buy a jig, and all you kind of have to figure out, you know, is your your drilling and cutting. But if you take like your old sixty six or eight hundred or seventy seven, you know, you got four different pieces that you have to have everything perfect because all the well, you know, the old calls, don't you? They got the old aromatic cedar tonal parts and everything. Yeah. So we manually cut all those by hand, sand it, and groove it and then you have to glue it in and adjust it that way instead of just slapping a reed and a cork in it and then doing some fine adjustments on your sanding. So, I mean, this is just a whole different world. So there was a lot of learning going down there, and it still is a big learning process for me for getting things how they're supposed to be imperfect. So, I mean, it's it is, it's a whole different kind of scenario and a whole different world than doing your jigs, calls, or even your cut-downs, because there's technically, if you want to say, they're kind of a J-frame, if you want to think of it that way, because I mean, (laughs) you still cut it on a jig and it's still kind of a J frame.
1: Okay, so I've heard this a thousand times and people talking about different cut downs and that's not a cut down, this isn't a cut down, this is a cut down. The way I understand it is it has to be from an old style tone board and cut modified to be a cut down. And like I said, I have no idea. I'll be the first one to say that I am ignorant when it comes to cut downs. Is that. Well, I,
0: I think that's more on the competition level market. I mean, because if, you, if you, I've heard a few people say, you know, a cut down is basically you're kind of modifying a call. So, I mean, you could take a, a jigged call and quote unquote kind of put like a cut on it if you went and call out a cut down because it's been cut. But I think on your direct, on your terms like you were saying cuz I know I've heard Seth Fields mentioned it and then I think Spencer Halford had done one and Jimbo had done a few of them and they'll sit there and say, you know, yeah, it's going to be after the old keyhole or the round hole depending on, you know, what style you like better. Cuz I know you got, you know, Spencer's got his brute his for his cut downs and you know the RNT's mondos and I know there's a few other ones out there that's modeled after the the PSO hard rubber D2. And even the readger are huge too, because you know it's a fifteen thousand read compared to a ten thousand. Unless you know we have our Quincy, which is a twenty thousand read. Jeez. And there's another misconception too. You know, with the cut down, some of them will tell you that they started in Arkansas, which that wasn't true either. You know, they started up um, up here in Quincy, Illinois. Yes, yeah, where the, the first cut down started at.
1: God, gotcha. Like I said, I'm completely ignorant to it. So, like I. It's always fascinating to me because, you know, we just don't do any, like where I grew up hunting, we don't do cutdowns. Like, no, it's pretty rare to see a Mondo or anything like that strapped on somebody's lanyard, where back we in the day, everybody water. had an old.
0: It is true. I mean, like I said, you know, you take your old, your stock keyholes, the early ones, or your hard rubber round holes, if you can find a stock one, dude, those things sound amazing with them hard rubber totals. And even the super, super early round holes had actually a spring sheet hard rubber reed.
1: Well, that's it. I was thinking. don't a lot of them have that, uh, so it was just the the earlier ones have the hard rubber reed? Like, when did they go to Mylar?
0: Oh, man. The, oh, I wanted to say some of the round holes did have, I'd have to dig. I know they stopped after a while because there were only six, there were 6,000 thickness reeds. And they would break really, really easily because naturally, you know, it's only a 6,000th hard rubber. Hmm. And so that's when that's when they made the switch. Actually, I think they went and went to black. And then after the black, they went to white.
1: Gotcha. The black
0: vinyl, then the white mylar. But there was actually an older gentleman. I don't know where he was at, where he was located, but he had sheets of that spring sheet hard rubber. And actually, people tried breaking it into his house to steal it.
1: That's insane.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a little wild in the car world.
1: <laughs> yeah, they had to know exactly what the heck they were looking for. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> the average crook is not stealing in, jumping in to take your air conditioner copper and your uh, thick...
0: No, we're mm-hmm. going to steal your spring sheet hard rubber. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That's wild. But that was the neat thing about Ulst. I mean, they had your... During the Magnum line, you know, they had German silver for the Magnum line. And you're, you, know, you just had a whole variation of different stuff. And we kind of carried that over here, you know, with what we do. Because we did the 99M, which is our the metal reed. But it's not like a real foot style because it has a flat. I shouldn't say it's not like a real foot style. It actually has the reed wedge and the reed base instead of just a flat tone board with the, uh, with, with, the, with the wedge part in there.
1: Like a like a Louisiana style tone., board. Yeah, you guys are. Yeah. It's got like the the J frame style cork notch type situation.
0: No, nope, it's actually. Well, you, you've taken apart a '66, right, or a DR? I have not. Oh, okay. Well, it has a individual read base, read and wedge. I I, I I I can get a hold of you and send you pictures at one point in time. Maybe after we get done talking. But it, it's just a three piece design. It's,
1: it's it's anyway <laughs> <laughs> well it's cool man because like talking to you like i've talked to other call makers and learned out about their history but your the way that your family is attached in the call making world isn't history lesson. like it, it, is, it is there's, there's, there's so much man that uh the surface people just don't know you guys have your customer base and you you have yourself, dude, like, th- your call-making skills are ridiculous. Like, I saw you got into checkering, and yeah. you're, you're the master of the clear acrylic. You guys have the, the bleach method that's top secret that I've seen a few call-makers get into. But your clear work is ridiculous, and your woodwork is just, like, it's taken off from the old-school, you know, D2 that everybody knows, alt-wise, to Damn. your work is just phenomenal, man
0: no well I appreciate it it's been a long it's been a long haul out there but you know there's there's a lot of guys out there that do some absolutely just amazing work that put me to shame so take Brad Samples that dude is a genius love his work
1: yeah but that's like saying that I want to play quarterback and trying to compare myself to Tom Brady Brad Samples <laughs> is ridiculous <laughs> yeah, that dude's ridiculous you can still that's be Aaron Rodgers and accept your own you know be happy about your own you're it probably not true. Aaron Rodgers you're in Illinois but uh you
0: know, but it's, it's been it's been a road, though. It's it's, it's been a lot of learning. I, I can tell you that one. It's, and I've gotten a lot of tips off of I still ask pointers from people on pages. You know, I, I still get help. So, I mean, you're, you're never done learning. <laughs> so I got help from dad here on our side and on the acrylic side. I'm, I still get pointers. I have reached out to a few people for, you know, like my J frame calls you know, hey, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? You know, tell me what I need to do to make them better so I can improve my call. And I ain't afraid to ask for help. So that's always one thing that I'll I'll do if I need help.
1: <laughs> that's cool, man. What does your pops think about the way that, uh, you, you know, your approach and call making, just being different from what he grew up, you know, what he worked his whole life, putting bread on the table, of course, he, he,
0: lo- he loves me being here. He gives me crap, though, because, you know, it's acrylics, and he's old school, and, of course, you know how it goes with the older generation and acrylics. Why, why would you want to pay $125 for a call when I can pick this one up for $30, $40? You know, we still get that all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, of course.
0: We've had phone calls asking what our most expensive call was, and at the time before I started, you know, he had the laser set up with the checkering on there. You know, he's like a hundred bucks, and the guy just hung up on him because it wasn't enough. It wasn't expensive enough for him. I'm like, dude, y'all are crazy.
1: So somebody wanted a more expensive checkered call.
0: Well, I think he just wanted it, our most expensive call that it was, and at that time, that's all Dad has was that call before I got into the acrylics. That's and they're like, well. It must not have been good enough because they hang up on them. So.
1: That's so weird, man. <laughs>
0: well, I've had one girl contact me last year. She goes, "My grandpa was a millionaire." What's your most expensive call you have? I'm like, oh, let me let me see what I can find. I'm just you get the weirdest phone calls and you never expect it. You know, we get phone calls from all over the world. You, you know, you go to work, you wake up, you don't know. You know where you're going to get a phone call from or an order from because you know we sell worldwide. You know we've been in Estonia, Egypt, uh, Germany, Denmark, uh, Iceland, Ireland, um, Australia. It's it's insane. That's so. What? I mean, you,
1: you, what type of know? calls are you selling? To a place like a a Denmark, Iceland, like a – I know they had the gray lags. Are you selling – They have
0: the gray lag. You got your pink foots. You know, it's funny. We sell just a regular 66 Mallard call. Don't buy that. The 800, they'll use that for the goose call. You know, the only – and, of course, we, you know, we come out with the Red Stag this year – last year, I'm sorry. So we've had New Zealand um, pick those up. The United Kingdom has picked a lot of those up. Um, So, I mean, a lot of them just buy our basic calls unless it's kind of like you said, you know, the gray leg or if they want the pink foot. But a lot of them just buy a typical Mallard call.
1: That's so – like me as a call maker, I make Mallard calls. Like, (laughs) you know, you have to know the operations, what makes, how to tune, all these different predator calls, off-the-wall calls that here in America, you know, nobody knows anything about.
0: And that's why I said I'm still learning.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, I can imagine. it. Like, I'm sure your pops is still learning. Like, that's a even, lifetime's even, worth of knowledge.
0: Even the, even the swan call, I'm still learning on that, getting that puppy down, because we sell a lot of them, so.
1: Have you ever gone out and gone swan hunting? I don't, Like, we don't have any we, opportunity around here. but
0: We went out to Swan Quarter. Oh, man, I'm going to catch heat if I get this wrong. Is it North Carolina, Swan Quarter, North Carolina? I'm going to catch heat. But my dad went out there for, it had been quite a few months back and forth with Brett Mason and Brad Gerganus. Now, if you ever want to go swan hunting, go check out Brad Gerganus at Gerganus Guide Service. Absolutely amazing. He's always got a guaranteed kill-out. And it's one of the best times you'll have in your life because those birds are huge.
1: What does it look like flying in? Like, do you you just see it for a mile?
0: Like, you at times you can literally stick your gun out. And you could smack the swan with a gun. Or if they're coming in and you're putting your decoys out, they'll just come in and land in the field with the decoys when you're putting them out.
1: Oh, they're actually field hunting those? Yeah. I thought they were hunted all off of, like, rocks out on the coast.
0: Oh, no. Well, we, we was in a ditch, kind of like a drainage ditch, I guess. We were, we were sitting in there, and we was out in the field maybe maybe a half hour, and mine come in. It was my very first shot swan. I shot it on the first time. I went and got it, and then Dad he ended up popping one off a couple minutes after that.
1: That's and what? how many so of them came one. in at once? Like one. Do what? Do, is it they come in in like groups of three or four, or was it a singles? Mine or?
0: was a single. His come in in a group of three. That's But so with swans, nice. you're only allowed one a year, so he shot the one in the back instead of the one in the front. So just in case he didn't drop two.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Because
0: you, you only get one a year, and that's it.
1: Well, and that's, you said North Carolina, right?
0: I wanted to say it is North Carolina. Like I said, if I'm wrong, I'll catch heat on it. But that's where we came up with that. You know, like I said, he spent a few months on it. And then it started out in wood. Then I transitioned them over into acrylic. And even with our diver calls, I mean, they just took off.
1: Yeah, that's, well, that swan call, you said that you've had a couple guys win some world titles on them, didn't you?
0: Correct. Yep. Brett Mason, he has won three world championships out on the East Coast at Easton. And then the um, younger fella, his name is Brett. I'd I'd have to go back and get it. It's been quite, it's been about two years ago and he's won two, I think it's two world championships on the youth. And they were supposed to have it again this year, but they moved it. And then of course with COVID, you know, they had to cancel it. So they're going to push that back and have the world championship again, hopefully this year and we're sponsoring that and depending on where we're at you know we might go out there and watch it that way we can kind of see and you know see how everything's done out there with the world swan combine contest and just check out the show we've never been out there so it would be a good time
1: do they run it with the rest of the like the world goose
0: oh, i think it is like november
1: is, early november
0: oh no no this one is um at the uh is it memorial day weekend? Memorial Day weekend, I'm wanting to say it is, because the one out in November, I know you, we went out there, and I think that's, what was it, February, we went out there, they had this big old show at Madame Mesquite, you know, they had a competition they're calling competition out there, which uh, it might be what you're talking about, It just days kind of blur together, and events, and
1: <laughs> dude, I can imagine doing it full time, and but, talking to a people, but it is a good people. time,
0: if you ever get a chance to go out there and go swan hunting, dude, you have to take it up. I've heard amazing. North
1: Carolina is like one of the few places that you can actually draw a tag too, right? Or not a draw yeah. a tag, but you can go buy a like. A, there's a few states up north that I think you can draw a tag, but out in North Carolina, I think you. Can, you it's like one of the few places you can actually get a tag. And they're
0: and they're they're cheap, relatively cheap, but only like twelve bucks.
1: Twelve bucks, dude! You can't I come to Missouri like and much. kill a dang turkey for less than that. You
0: can but you can't even, You can't even get your fishing license up here for that.
1: <laughs> well, that's because you live in crazy socialist land. Uh,
0: uh, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I was gonna say, dude, they just—you
1: guys are Illinois for yeah. being in the Midwest—is night and day from Missouri, and it's so oh. sad because ninety-nine point nine percent of Illinois is just like Missouri.
0: And, and and at one point in time, you know, it used to be really good hunting. The deer, you know, the birds. We had Spring Lake used to be like number five in the state for the best hunting, and now it's permanently shut down. Like all, 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 of our parks, like our conservation, quote unquote conservation, got switched over to state parks. So now the conservation fund for the state is gone, and it's all state funded. That's... So now they can now they can take the money out of the conservation and put it in the general fund and use it at the state.
1: So you guys have no federal funding, like, like. Your duck Oh, no, also? we
0: have federal funding, but it's few and far in between. Like, you take your conceal and carry. The only reason we have conceal and carry is because the federal government literally forced us, the state, to put
1: conceal and carry in. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it. That's so weird, man. There's too yeah, many
0: this state freaking is. whack
1: jobs up there.
0: It is too. Man, we got that Prisker in there now too, and he's just—he's got the state shambles.
1: Yeah. How do you think that has affected your guys' business?
0: Um, I mean, the the COVID—it's affected it. You know, of course, you know, it's affected everybody. Um, we 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 stay open. You know, what? if they want to come find us for being open, you can go ahead. We ain't gonna shut down because you know we can't
1: is illinois still like i know in missouri we're just like starting to ramp back up opening and everything is illinois not in that yet
0: we are slowly opening but everyone's defying the governor we've actually had two two mayors i want to say that's actually sued the governor and gotten restraining orders against him so he can't really do whatever he's doing and you know the governor's wife flew down to florida and they did a press interview with them, and he's like, well, you know, back in the day, politics would keep your family out of it, so I'm not going to answer your question. So, like, you know, hey, I'm God, and everyone else, you can just, so.
1: That's so weird. Missouri, we actually had a, uh, I think our governor is one of, like, made national news a while back because we're actually suing China for
0: <laughs> Dude, i seen Germany was doing that, too. They actually sent him a damage bill of, like, 1.6 million or some goofy number and they sent him a bill for it.
1: Yeah, did you read that dude's letter? It was hilarious.
0: No, I I kind of like keep myself oblivious from politics just because it, it causes a lot of uh, unnecessary arguments.
1: Oh yeah, yeah so,
0: definitely. And yeah, I just but you got politics everywhere you go.
1: Right, so you grow up in this call making family, watching your dad do stuff, helping him out. What what was the hunting like when you were you know when you were younger? What was, was your hunting kid, situation?
0: My you know it was of course you know kids being kids. Okay, we want to go. We don't want to go. Um, we went out goose hunting. We would go duck hunting, deer hunting. But you would kill birds back in the day. You know, then we had 1993, we had a flood, and the water stayed up for like six to seven months, killed all the vegetation along the rivers, no one could plant anything for the hunting season, so, you know, as you know, the flyway moved west, and now you have all these farmers out west that are putting all these food plots in, and, you know, animal the birds are staying there. They ain't coming back here. We went out to Wyoming last year around this time and we seen more geese there flying than we did here. That's you know, awesome. we, we we rarely see deer anymore. I mean they're 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 popping up a little bit more now. But I ain't gonna talk about the Illinois politics and the deer Island <laughs> of dead, but um <laughs> at one point in time, you know, it was really good here for hunting. But, you know, that kind of just went downhill and politics and state farm and insurance companies got involved in it and all the deer disappeared.
1: So you said that you went out to Wyoming and saw a bunch of birds. I don't know if we were live yet or not, but you you were talking about you guys are moving to Wyoming?
0: We are dad's got the house sold. It's a quote unquote sold. So right now it's in the process of looking for a house out there that we can have the shop in because, you know, out there back you know after the settlers and all that other stuff you know they sold off the land and to get water and electricity you know they put it into a subdivision so with subdivisions comes laws and rules just like with your homeowners association you know you have to make sure you can have a business in there so that's the main thing right now is just trying to find a place that's big enough for the shop and that where we can have it without any kind of issues you know where they're they're gonna be like somebody's gonna complain after three months of being there because they don't want to hear a duck call being blown or a goose call or a swan call then you know we're screwed because we have nowhere to go
1: no oh, yeah my neighbors look at me like i'm crazy when i step out oh yeah
0: <laughs> so that that that's one little obstacle that we have going on but yes the plan is we will hopefully be out of here this year but the name is going to be the same you know it'll still be dj calls or you know legally it's dj illinois river valley calls so
1: So, are you guys moving out there for just, I don't know, Wyoming seems to be a really, really nice state. I've never been out there, but everybody loves it.
0: Wyoming is gorgeous. If if hunting and fishing and camping or four-wheeling, you can legally ride your four-wheeler on the road there. All you have to do is just get insurance for it and a license plate. But if that's what you like to do, then absolutely, dude. You can go out there, you can go fishing, you can pull off to the side of the road and cut firewood off the side of the road without cops coming up to you like they do here and be like, you know, you can't stop. They're going to ticket you for being on the side of the road for cutting up a piece of wood. So it's it's, it's, it's a whole another world out there. You know, you can go to these local stores and they just have bins, wide open bins of grain or coffee beans and you just walk up there and self-serve and walk out (laughs) you know so it it is just a whole different world it's insane the stuff you can do when you're here in illinois what you're restricted compared to any other state is just insane
1: well yeah for being in the middle of america it just doesn't make sense i know the uh the waterfowling opportunity in wyoming has gotten significantly more Popular, oh, well, I would say. Yes, I, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. highway like you
0: know, changed. It's like seven mallards,
1: out. isn't it? Do what? I think Illinois, I think um, Wyoming is seven mallards, too.
0: I'm honestly not sure. The only reason I say that is because we haven't really dug that far. And, and I'll also say, you know, because you know, my dad spent almost every dying duck season and goose season when his youth, you know, he would be out there every single day. Or even deer hunts, you know, as kids, you know, my birthday was in the middle of February, so my older sister's in January, my younger sister's in October, well, guess what? You got hunting season all through there. Got <laughs> so it. as kids, you know, we have to wait, and so now it's to the point where, you know, he's ready for um, doing elk hunting or some moose or, you know, just whatever they have out there. Get some big game hunting in and kind of give the birds, you know, it's...
1: Not have to be your everything.
0: Right. Have and you ever funny, done you know, any big because, game you know, we, we, we do this industry, so it's actually kind of funny that, you know, he don't want to go bird hunt no more, as much as he used to, and that he'd rather do some big game, but...
1: Well, I you know, I could understand that. Just wanted to experience different things. Have you guys ever done any big game or anything like that?
0: Oh, yeah. There was... I didn't go last year, but the prior two years, we went out to URA, Colorado, Flint Hill Hunt, and that was a that, that was a whole learning experience there because <laughs> you know you think about elk your high elevation on the side of a mountain and all the other stuff we spent two years hiking up the side of mountains or we'd be like 11 12,000 feet up you see nothing and then you go down to ralph lauren's property because he owns property there outside of uray and there's three thousand head of elk there that you could have just shot on flat ground and loaded up in a truck and took it home <laughs>
1: well i've heard that elk hunting is so crazy that it like is almost like turkey hunting with the way that they interact with you i like i'm ignorant to it like elk hunting
0: is different because you don't sit in deer stands yeah so you actually you know it depends on what time of day because that and i got to remember this too at one point either in the morning when the wind is either going up or down the mountain so it's like you know if it's in the morning you have to be above them Or in the evening, you have to be below them so that you can't catch your can't catch your scent and everything else like that. So you're not sitting in a deer stand just waiting for them to come to you. You know, it's a whole different strategy.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interactive. Like that's what I think people. I don't know. I've listened to a lot of like uh, Rogan's podcast. He's a big elk hunter and stuff like Uh that. And it's I think they just they interact more. Like I grew up. You know, they try to take me deer hunting and stuff like that, and I just have zero interest in it. It It's boring, like you said. Oh well, yeah, in, you're,
0: you're 15 years old sitting in a deer stand for three hours okay, like well, yeah, that.
1: Yeah, I could be what? out chasing women right now, you know?
0: That's right. <laughs> Dude, even when I was a kid, you know, I had a I didn't have a problem, you know, with going out and hunting, but we was in the goose pit one day on Spring Lake. And our buddy Tom Sonderman, you know, his, the Sondermans, they all worked at Ults as well. And he shot and wounded this goose. <laughs> so he takes the head of this goose and he's smacking it off of this beam in this freaking goose blind and i'm sitting here like crying like a little freaking girl because i'm just hearing these whacks so this goose's head off of this beam i'm like dude this right now dude goose that day for me <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready to go home man
1: <laughs> yeah there's so there's a as a kid man there's just i didn't get into hunting until i was older until i uh had gotten out of the navy because when I was a kid, I just didn't appreciate that time. There's just so much oh, other stuff no. I could be doing. I could be out riding bikes, chasing girls. You know, oh, just... yeah, and you, know, you don't
0: appreciate the time with your parents. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I've been spending a lot of time with my dad, you know, after my rebellious youth and getting into where we're at now. you know, I, I spent a lot of time with dad and just doing more, with, especially you know, doing the work in here and everything else. So it gives us some more time
1: how see so you work with your pops how how many times a week do you guys get in an argument
0: no I try not to argue but there's times that I could just argue with them every single day but I just <laughs> leave
1: it alone it's working <laughs> with family man you there's no matter what you I, exactly. do exactly
0: <laughs> it's like oh hey you got some political speech going on that your parents are vamping about and they always sit there and tell you don't argue with your parents it's like yeah well alright we'll just let it go <laughs>
1: that's too funny man
0: so but I mean it's a good time I actually love working with my dad it's it's fun being here like I said you know you you wake up you don't know where you're gonna get a phone call from whether it's overseas or a friend you know who's needing reads or whatever so you know, it's always a good time so, well, and I'm
1: that life is just so like as a callmaker a, a little you know in my garage callmaker maker. And then 99% of the people that are on call nuts and stuff like that are just these little time, you know, guys that are tinkering out in the garage selling here and there. Like that full time call maker is just such a crazy like the stuff that you guys have to deal with is like, you know, we're talking about, you know, the little call making groups being such a small, small part of your business where to me, that's everything, man. That's like uh, talking to these call collectors is everything.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it's social media anymore is everything. You know, it used to be to the point where, you know, you had to do catalogs. I mean, you you take Matt and they're just any, any catalog, you know, you're going to spend four five, six thousand dollars on a third of a page. Where, you know, you get your social media, whether it's you're using Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and, you know, it's you you reach out globally compared to where your magazine and you're just limited where somebody actually has to buy it. Well, yeah. So social media has been good for us. You know, you you reach overseas. That's huge. Our overseas market is actually better than our, you know, in-state market. We well, yeah. more overseas than we do
1: here. The way that you guys are putting out so many different calls, too, I can imagine. And just the specific targeted marketing that you can do versus, you know, if you put out a call in Max, people that pick up Max, 90% of them are going to be, you know, hunters looking at different stuff. Right. Um, but, you know, if you were to go out there and you had a brand new call and you posted on like a group like Call Nuts of 30,000, 30,000 people are on call nuts because they like collecting calls. Like, that's yep. extremely targeted marketing for nothing. Oh,
0: yeah, exactly. So, you know, you take a magazine through Bass Pro or, like I said, Max, you know, you might have maybe half of that concentration because, you know, you're not signing up for the magazine or whatever. You know, you just post it on there and 30,000 30, people see it. Yeah. So whether you know there, you know there's a whole lot of overseas people on the pages too. So I mean that helps, and that helps out a lot. You know because you start getting your word of mouth, and that you know our K, my K 11s that we did, you know we had posted it on there in the overseas market. You know they they can't find them, or they don't want to have anybody that wants to. You know, you know you know how you start getting all your tariff taxes and everything adds up when it starts doing overseas.
1: Well yeah, and they just blam, you take on, $100 a hundred dollar call,
0: headache. you know, they gotta pay the hundred dollars and they have to pay the shipping, and then they gotta pay the tariff tax on top of this. You know, they're at a 175
1: dollars for a call that they paid a hundred bucks for. Yeah, that's is that so, like uh, one well, of the biggest struggles you find?
0: Uh, not really, because a lot of the times we we try and be good to our customers. So, you know, if we have returning and returning and returning, and I've had a lot of people I shouldn't say a lot of people, a few people that's bought a lot of calls. So, I've given them breaks and I've given them deals because, you know, you start racking up a lot of money and it's
1: it, been a good a good supply.
0: But, you know, I mean it's it's a respect thing. You know, if you if you want to sit there and you're spending your hard-earned money on my calls, you know, and you keep buying and buying, you know, I don't mind giving you a deal. Absolutely not. And it, and it helps you out in the long run.
1: Well, yeah, you know, because, and then, you
0: know they're going to be like, hey, you know, check out this guy. You know, he'll take care of you. You know, I don't expect people to be like, dude, if you buy all these calls, you know, he's going to give you a deal. But I it's more the customer service for me. You know, you gotta take care of your people. Otherwise, you're just going to go somewhere else. And yeah. there's a lot of call makers out there for someone else to go to. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like I can totally see that. Like with my returning customers, I always try to give them a little bit of a break um i don't know like how many times a year do you get people that are from all these crazy locations all over the place trying to get you to come out there and hunt with them
0: we have an open invitation for new zealand anytime we want to go all we got to do is just pay to get there canada um we got friends in denmark um united kingdom it's actually the united kingdoms they're in a bad way now it's the only problem
1: what what other places have you been to have you, I, have you been out of? St- I've
0: never been out. Of, I've never been out of country.
1: Oh man, I went to uh, Denmark. I was in the Navy, and I got lucky enough to go to twenty one countries, and they were all pretty, pretty good ones. And uh, Denmark, dude, is just so phenomenal. I,
0: oh yeah, yeah. We got a buddy of ours. Well, a couple buddy of ours. Uh, he owns his own. Um, I guess it'd be a, like a hunting shop over there in Denmark. He's you know sells bear bows, and he carries our calls for over there, and. But yeah, he's always, of course, you know, you live there and you visit there. He's ready to move here to the United States if his wife would do it. And you got people that would just, you know, like to go over there. So.
1: <laughs> well, the, over there, it's extremely expensive. Like,
0: oh, well, yeah. Everything he, is, he was.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, he it's all you that's the tough thing about these phone calls i was gonna say everything is really expensive over there like it's uh everything is really clean and like Uh extremely beautiful the weather there is perfect um it's a bunch of vikings man they're all the women there are six foot tall blonde hair blue (laughs) eyes like it's i absolutely love that place on earth everybody is so so nice but it, yeah, that is it was funny biggest... because he
0: would always talk that they literally just got indoor plumbing like maybe like 10 15 years ago. Well um, that's how that's how behind they are. I mean this might have been like all right, so now you might take it maybe like 20 years because you know when we first met him has been kind of when we first started in the 3 And it was, you know, that was to the point where he said, we've only had, like, indoor plumbing for, like, 15 years. So, I mean, it might be, like, 20, 25 years now, but.
1: That's crazy. Well, that place is so huge, too, that, uh, I don't know, it's, like, got so many little different tiny islands, and part of it's, like, in Sweden, where, like, Copenhagen is and stuff like that, where you have, like, mainland Denmark. I know you're a big European buff. I know you're a big, like, World War II buff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How did that stuff start, man? Because uh, I know that's, like, one Dude, of your biggest interests outside ever of Ever since I
0: was a kid. Ever since I was a kid, that has always fascinated me. And I've always caught a lot of flack, too, for it. But it's always interested me. For whatever reason, I don't know. Like, have you seen it? I've made the, the German hand grenade, the duck calls.
1: Yeah, that's so cool.
0: <laughs> and well, I what actually made it stick i have no idea and then a super good buddy of mine that's what he does for a living is he sells it so i mean but i collect a lot of stuff i mean i i got people's duck calls throughout the 10 year that we've been doing this and you know i collect my world war ii stuff and it's no idea what made it click or anything like that but
1: what makes a uh, you said you catch a bunch of flack on it what do you catch flack about
0: Oh, you ever tried being in this world now and collecting German
1: Oh, like the World War II memorabilia like Nazi memorabilia? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You get called
0: <laughs> a Nazi sympathizer it's, and all that good stuff.
1: It's part of history.
0: Like it's oh, I, that. I, hey, to but do. you know how this you know how today is.
1: Yeah, that's true. It people
0: You know how today is.
1: Well, let's just hope that you don't freaking get in a car crash and somebody goes through and they're like, Oh my god, Derek was actually a Nazi. He, anyway, he has all these hand grenades from World War II. Nobody's going
0: to get rich by the time I'm dead, man.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully they don't sell them for what you told somebody you paid for it.
0: Nobody knows what I paid for it. Well, there you go. That's even worse. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, I'll tell my daddy hey, get a hold of dude and just have him buy it all back. He knows what it's worth. <laughs> that's too
1: crazy, man. It's a it's all pieces of history that's so interesting. Oh, like, yeah. Just the way stuff was made is, is always fascinating. I think to us as call makers... And people that work with their hands, watching other people, like how stuff was made uh-huh. in different time periods, different countries, is always fascinating. Well,
0: actually, really cool, speaking of, you know, the World War Two. You, you you remember, did you ever see the old, old PSO to P-17, the mouse squirrel call? No. So anyway, it was, you know, your D2 barrel, but it had a wide mouthpiece. And uh, during World War Two, it was actually a predator call. Because the Japanese were superstitious of the fox. So they were going to send all those calls over to the soldiers that was going over to Japan. And, you know, because it was a mouth call, they could hold it in their mouth and still use their rifle. And when they were going out and cleaning all the trenches or foxholes, whatever they were, they would blow those calls to get them to get up and move out of their spot and just pretty much all shoot them dead when they hopped up.
1: get See, that's the information that is so fun about this podcast. Not that World War Two is fun, but, no, but that it, it's piece just of history. Information. Yeah, that piece of history that somebody has to like. I don't know if you guys have that information anywhere put out, but like before that gets lost in time, because who the oh. heck knows that?
0: Well, we're actually working. Well, I am. I haven't. I've been slacking on it. We're doing the old PSO museum on our website. <laughs> So okay. like, you know, when you go on there, www.djcalls.com, and you scroll down just a little bit, there'll be a picture of, I think it was Philip Olt, and you click on that, and you know it's got all the MAG catalogs, working on the calls, any kind of memorabilia hardware stuff that Olt's ever did, like they had playing cards, ashtrays, uh, letter openers paperclips, um, <laughs> anything that they had and they put out I'm that we have in our possession is I'm trying to get everything loaded onto there. So, you know, all the information of any call that was ever done, whatever years, variants of it, it's all going to be on there.
1: That's so cool, man. Like, it, it's such a fascinating – like, I don't know. I'm a, probably a little more romantic about history than most people, but I just – it's so fun to – like, I hated a lot of classes in school, but history has always just been fascinating, man.
0: God, I hated school. Well, yeah.
1: But, like, I can remember stupid dates, and, like, I love learning about history. Like, when I went over overseas, like, I got to go to all these places that, you know, I saw in textbooks and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm actually standing here in front of, you know, oh, yeah. this marker. And then you see it, and you're like, I wish they wouldn't have turned this into a tourist trap, because this would be a lot cooler.
0: Oh, man, I tell you what. Like, that's the one thing, the cool thing. Illinois has a bad thing about tearing down, like, historic buildings. So, like, that's the, you know, the the fun, I want to say the fun thing with everything that's happened. But, you know, you get overseas and even get out of Illinois and other states, you know, they preserve all the old history.
1: Well, yeah, and it's like, you know, this part of America... As America itself, it's not that old. You know, we're only three or four generations of people, like back, you know, 250 oh, yeah. years. That's not that old. But you go to these places, like on the coast where they landed in, you know, the 1500s, and you see some, like this building in Philadelphia that was, you know, from 1550 that they started. Yep. It's like, dude, this is insane.
0: Yup. And it is, too. I mean, it's it's actually really cool. I, I enjoy it, you know. Or like, even you take just, like, 20 minutes north of here, you know, you get you go into Peoria, and, you know, you even have their downtown district. I know the buildings aren't old, but, you know, they're still standing. They're super old buildings. They're super cool. And, you know, I like all the older stuff, you know, better than all this new crap that we have. You know, I love the old, old history.
1: Yeah, it's just an appreciation for it. And, like... You know, I was saying the appreciation for how things were built and done. And you can look at it like, I, you know, I can weld and stuff like that. I took some welding school. And then I go into different buildings, and I always am like, eh, that dude's welds freaking sucks, man. You start nitpicking
0: everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. But then you see some stuff that's really, really old, or you'll see pictures of – dudes in New York in the 20s building skyscrapers, and you're like... Dude,
0: oh yeah, you get the World Trade Center, or or you you take even, in France, you take all the ones that were building the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And you got these dudes walking on these I-beams and these little, look like they're little half-inch freaking beams, and they're just walking on there smoking a cigarette and eating lunch. I'm like, dude, y'all are crazy.
1: (laughs) Have you... (laughs) I, uh, I was listening to this podcast a couple years ago, but it was a video of the first dude who developed a wingsuit. That was pretty cool. He jumped off the Eiffel Tower. And you oh. can look at this video. It It's still on YouTube. And uh, you can look at the guy before he gets to jump off. And you're like, there's no fucking way on earth that that is going to work. Right. It looks like a little kid with a bed sheet tied around his neck getting ready to jump <laughs> off the Eiffel Tower. And what does he do? He smacked the ground so hard. Oh, no.
0: And oh. you know, that's actually funny because honestly funny. When my uncle on my, it would have been my grandpa on my dad's side, his brother, you know, he was in World War II, but when they first did the first moon takeoff or first moon landing, you know, he was part of that. He took part of setting it up and getting all the details for getting up there and flying up and landing on the whole moon and everything.
1: That's so cool. So, so we went to the moon is what you're saying.
0: Went to the moon.
1: 100%. percent moon landing. 100%.
0: So he had all the oil up until he died a couple years ago, but he had some of the information and paperwork from when he used to, because he worked at Boeing, and his boy does now as well. So I'm like, dude, I was like, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's dude, just the wealth. Call making is such a small part of, I, I don't know. Oh, I, I dabble in so much information that I just, I'll end up, you know, Sitting down to read about this one thing and then get lost in Wikipedia for four hours later.
0: Oh yeah, and you know the call making is a big part of the world, but it's a really small part.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's the the thing I love about call making is the brotherhood of the people that it brings together. It puts you in the same room or the same area as somebody else, but finding out every that's why I love this podcast is just talking to everything that has to do with some of it with call making but everything else and you're so go ahead
0: like we were talking earlier you know I went to the Call of Palooza down there in Arkansas this year super good time met a lot of super good people absolutely I actually had a blast that weekend that we were there spent a lot spent a little too much money down there but had a good time
1: well yeah and so much of it has nothing to do with calls
0: no no it was just a lot of people just hanging out you know they had Brad Samples and Alan Whitson and you just, they had the two different teams you know they were doing the call build off and then you know you had Ron Gould and Brian Byers and you know it was a super good time watching them build the two calls and they auctioned off and they had you know the crawfish boil and everyone just had a it was just an amazing time I, you know I had, a, I had a fantastic time down there.
1: Well and that's the more stuff that's more of the stuff that we need because I feel like you know, there for so long, that's the community that people, like, people were together, like, and then yeah, like, technology, you know, took off and everybody just got locked in their phone. You walk down the road, you see everybody looking at dude, their phone.
0: everyone's balls deep in their phone anymore. Yes,
1: yes, but this thing of community of bringing people back together, like, you know, the real foots and stuff like that. Are, oh, yeah. It just, it, you have to connect to other people to really, like, get a full sense of the world.
0: Yes, It is correct. And, I, you know, I'm that same way. You know, there's times where I just get sick and tired of being having my phone, so I'll leave it at home. And I know that's a bad thing to do with what I do because I'll have people message me all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll leave it at home, but I have my watch. So I'll message you back here when I get my phone. But, and it is, you know, everyone's so involved in electronics. You know, I, I miss old social gatherings. That's why I said, dude, I had an absolute blast going down to Arkansas yeah I had my phone with me but I spent more time talking with you know I met Rob Ziedermeister down there super nice guy Dylan Nolan you know I met Sean Mann down there just a whole lot of freaking people Will Shelley, Michael Meredith you know, I had an absolute blast you know talking to those guys it wasn't you know you weren't even really talking about duck calls all the whole time you know you're just sitting there chatting and having a good time
1: yeah absolutely man that's that uh when Call of Palooza happened, I was actually on the way down for vacation, or else I would have been there. And I was like, "Of course, you, you
0: have to go next year, dude. I'm definitely going to be there next year. I'll, hopefully, I'll be able to set up, but I might be flying if we're in Wyoming. But super good time, dude. It was a blast, you know.
1: That's what I've heard, man.
0: You know, John Stevens, dude. He threw him and his wife threw an amazing party. You know, it was it was great.
1: That's so cool. Well, brother, I will. Uh... I don't know. I feel we've been about an hour. I'll let you uh, get off here. My kiddos are finally getting home for the weekend. So, there you uh, go. Yeah, right, hey, I appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. And dude, there's so much that you have to say. I, I feel like we need to do another one of these in the future. Maybe we'll uh, plan something out. But uh,
0: Yeah, we'll get something planned out. We'll have to do a little stage interview, though. <laughs> no, no stage <laughs> Just to get interview. Some it's way more fun. <laughs> oh yeah i appreciate it though and you take care you have yourself a uh good rest of your uh your sunday
1: yeah man and uh good luck with all that stuff on the move and we'll have to uh, talk oh, to hey, you after you get French, everything set up man
0: yeah you'll have to stop out sometime when we get moved out there and do some fly fishing
1: in wyoming oh yeah in oh wyoming. yeah i can't then, see me moving any further north but maybe vacation
0: that's what i say just drive out and do some fishing yeah, out there. right <laughs> stay south of the 80
1: line though right exactly (laughs) all right buddy it was
0: good talking to you all right
1: man i really appreciate you giving us some time if people want to grab one of your ass's calls where would they get a hold of you at
0: um you can find us on facebook or instagram you know our facebook is dj illinois river valley calls same as our instagram the website is www.djcalls.com you can find me on facebook or you can hit up my dad david jackson if you guys want to do it that way
1: Perfect, man. Well, you get out there and uh, stay checkering, brother.
0: Uh sure will. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Bye bye.
1: All right, guys. That was Derek Jackson, the uh, DJ calls. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever follow him on Facebook. He is a uh, he's a character to follow. He's he's so funny, man. I it's been one of my good buddies a long time on here, and his family is just so tied up in the. History of call making. I mean, uh, for the last 120 years, if you've blown a call, you know, it's it's tied to his family. And uh, I don't know. It's just a really fun, cool interview. I didn't really know what to expect because I figured we'd go down some rabbit holes. And it was just a good time. But uh, get out there, subscribe, share, let us know when a duck call. This is episode 15, I think. So either episode 20 or 25, depends on how fast I get these next couple ones done. We're going to give away a duck call. Thank you, guys. Have a good night.